Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos. And after a pre-chat, I am super, not that I wasn't before the pre-chat, but I'm super excited to talk to today's guest. So we've got James Grant from Georgia Trial Attorneys and super interesting guy. He's not only pioneering a business model that I find super intriguing, but doing a really good job of it. So um, thanks for coming on the show, James. No, thanks for having me, Jan. I mean, who wouldn't be super pumped to talk to me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you guys are watching this on video or seeing it, uh, we got a really interesting, and we might actually start there because I think it's kind of interesting. So James is sitting in a gym right now. We are looking at racks and racks of dumbbells. We got a looks like a power rack behind him. It's uh, it's a really interesting situation. So seems like a pretty out front there as far as your brand and what you represent. So I mean, tell us a little bit more about uh, maybe some of the connections between strongman and business from maybe a mental perspective. I feel like you've got some thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, so I started doing Strongman a couple of years ago, and it was just kind of on a whim. And I was like, if I'm going to start working out because my kids are older, you know, we're getting out of the diaper stage and all that, I've got to have a goal. And I just picked Strongman. And I was not someone that worked out extensively. So in a matter of a year, I put on about 30, 40 pounds. And then within this last year, I've now put on probably almost 65 pounds and I've competed in several strongman events. I've done very well. And it's something that now has become a part of me. And I feel like if you're going to be in the courtroom and you're going to be taking on these Goliath insurance companies and the David versus Goliath, you want somebody who's got some tenacity and some perseverance. And I feel like you earn that in the weight room. And that's what I have here in my basement. That's awesome. I mean, that's the thing too, is like if you could physically at least show up as the Goliath, <laughs> I feel like it counts for something in the courtroom too. So that's pretty interesting. And it kind of speaks to the competitive nature of what you do. And to use that as a little bit of a segue, so basically, I thought your business model was super interesting because you work with a lot of attorneys, basically, to take the litigation off of their plate when they get personal injury cases, right? Yeah, I mean, so my goal and my role is to help other personal injury attorneys make more money faster and with less stress by serving as their outsourced litigation department. Okay, interesting. It's kind of like, um, it's interesting. Have you ever read the book Lawyer Forward by Mike Whalen? I have not, but I can share that one to my list. <laughs> this is, you know, this is probably the third or fourth time I've struck out on that reference on this podcast. But I know Mike because we had him on the podcast like three or four years ago. He really stuck with me. He's just kind of a very smart thinker on the economics of and just, you know, how markets end up shaping up over time. But he basically said where he saw the legal industry going is between people who are ultimately really good at the fulfillment side and then people are really good on the aggregator side. And, you know, basically there's this very natural, like symbiotic relationship between the two. Yeah, no, as far as the litigation stuff, like I can imagine that's not something that people love to do personally or staff or that kind of thing. But, you know, what kind of attracted you to litigation in the first place as opposed to just other parts of the business? It wasn't something, in all honesty, that attracted us initially. We fell into the typical roadmap that the typical person injury attorney follows is you know, early on in their law firm career, they're going to do a lot of referral work, and they're going to use that as an opportunity to launch their pre-litigation campaign, and then they're just going to move into that, and then they're going to do both. And once we started taking on business coaching and learning how to be a true entrepreneur and running a business that just so happens to practice law, we started to realize, well, where's our market? Do we want to have a small portion of a large market share or do we want to have a large portion of any particular market share? And we realized that 
really the litigation space is a place where no one wants to be necessarily, especially exclusively. So we're like, this is an untapped market where we can claim a large part of this space, especially in Georgia. And since we made the switch probably about a year and a half, two years ago, it has been a wonderful switch for us to where now I'm just in the business of helping other attorneys and I'm not competing with them. Yeah, that's awesome. And then just to kind of confirm too, so like as far as where the cases are coming from from you guys today, it's pretty much 100% referrals, I'd imagine, right? Yes. So the benefit is, is now I'm in the business of, like I said, helping other lawyers. So they are my clients. Other personal injury law firms are my clients. Now, their clients become our clients as we handle their cases in litigation. But the vast majority of our cases are coming through the other attorneys that we work with because, again, we are in the business of networking with other lawyers and helping them and helping them to also see from the business side how it actually is going to help them make more money by offloading their litigation so they can focus on what they're good at, which 90% of the time is marketing and sales and pre-lit. Yeah. So that's super awesome. So you've kind of been able to create this almost like spillover thing where, you know, if these guys get a tiger by the tail, a lot of the times it's probably not a good situation for them, right? Like what kind of situations are you kind of running into as far as people who are like, well, that case didn't go the way I thought. So I definitely got to get some help on this next one. Like what are the kind of the situations with people who reach out to you guys for the first point, just from their, you know, the practicing perspective? The one thing about reaching out is a lot of times it's me doing the reaching out is, you know, it's not necessarily fishing. It's more of hunting. You know, I'm out there hunting for leads because you go online. There's not a lot of keyword search volume for, you know, is there a personal injury attorney nearby that can help me with my litigation? Like no yeah. one's going to search for that, but it's helping attorneys see from a business perspective, how they can really take their firm to the next level. I mean, especially if you're a small one, two, three attorney shop, and you're trying to handle everything, that's really tough because it's two entirely different skill sets. The skill set that you need as a pre-litigation attorney, a pre-litigation case manager is entirely different, an entirely different management process from handling those same individuals who are in roles as litigation paralegals, litigation admins, litigation attorneys. And once you put people in roles where they can be successful in their particular given craft and not have to deviate into other areas, all of a sudden people start really striving and thriving for that success because they're where they want to be and they're not having to multitask so much because that just leads to so many problems. Yeah, like that makes all the sense in the world to me too because it's like not only have the situation where it's going to be like a higher financial outcome, I definitely want to ask you about that in terms of if you got any like recent examples, but I can imagine the kind of staff that people would be hiring to take care of this stuff is not cheap. And if it's something that's going to come up once in a blue moon, it doesn't really make any sense to take it in-house. Well, even if you're handling your litigation in-house 40% of the time, you're still overpaying for that litigation attorney to handle pre-litigation 60% of the time. So mm -hmm. it's one of the deals where if you're going to do this, and there are firms that do it and, the, and they do it well, but you effectively have to run two separate law firms. You have to run your law firm that specializes in pre-litigation with its own team. And then you have to run your other law firm over here with the litigation team. And those firms don't necessarily pull from each other. They are their own unique teams and managed by totally separate processes, KPIs, everything. So if you can do that, then by all means. But if you're really good at marketing, which a lot of attorneys surprisingly, they're very good at getting cases. If you ask them, hey, if you had another $250,000 a year, could you go get more cases? And they're like, 
<laughs> yeah. Why don't you go do that and stop wasting your time on the super complicated stuff of litigation and let somebody else who really wants to do it run that so you can go grow your firm and worry about not those things. Yeah. Well, seriously, we're talking about $250,000. That might be one salary for the kind of people that can do this at the end of the day, too. So it's just like, I mean, that, you know, it's starting to kind of add up to you as you kind of get through this. But, you know, it's kind of continuing on that path as far as the numbers. Did you guys have anything special in terms of like the co counsel arrangement or just pretty much standard stuff like that? And like, if we talk about that and also just in terms of like the outcomes that you guys are able to get in excess of what people would be getting on their own, like what's sort of the, you know, the financial value proposition for people that are kind of coming into this partnership with you guys? Oh, yeah. I mean, when you look at it on its face, you're like, whoa, I mean, you're telling me I'm going to have to give up half of my fee. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. We do a 50-50 fee split. You worked up the case and you did a great job. But guess what? Insurance companies are terrible, awful things, and they're not going to do the right thing. They'll do it some of the time. But, you know, the other 40, 30 percent of the time, you're going to have to litigate a case. And in that instance, it becomes an actual a financial benefit to use an outsourced litigation department because then you're going to actually get more in the end. You know, on average, we're 5Xing initial offers. So if a case comes in with a $10,000 offer, we're going to settle it for $50,000. Well, just doing the simple math, you know, 33% of $10,000 is still less than 20% of $50,000. So like when you do the math, and is every case going to be that? No, but it's it washes out in the averages. You're going to have outliers on both the high end and outliers on the low end. And as long as we're delivering value from a time and money perspective, that's the big thing that we have to track and make sure that we're being able to see and show and also reinforce with the clients as well. Because my job is to make you as the referring firm, make you look good. My job is not to take the case and be the, the one that's the savior to finish it. No, mine is to make you look good as, hey, we're just bringing me in to then hand back to you. Now, we're going to finish the case, but it's still my job is to preserve that relationship. So when the client comes back, they go back to you. They don't come to me. And if, even if they do come back to me, I still send them back to you. Okay, that's awesome. So I want to get into the tracking a little bit, but I just want to take a little bit of a detour to talk about something that came up on a podcast that I was on a couple of days ago, and it, it gels exactly with what you're saying. So I heard this story about when Apple was going to decide what, how, what to do about making the app ecosystem for iPhones. As we all know today, they ended up having a situation where they created a platform and they take a percentage of whatever people are selling in the Apple store. But at some point in a very, very high level room, people were weighing the outcome of hiring an entire stable of engineers and building these things out from a centralized top-down way. But the salaries of those engineers was not as much as they could imagine of getting this stuff out there and having other people take care of that payroll and just take a percentage of what was coming in. So for anyone listening to this, it's like, ah, oh, that sounds like a little crazy or something like that. Just like, you know, if you think you're smart in Apple, don't listen to anything in this podcast. But if not, it's something to to potentially consider. It's not always about old school vertical integration and having the million partner firm unless I mean, there's other reasons people would want to do that. But um, but yeah, like I think there's, there's a I just think it's such an interesting way that this is kind of shaping out for for you guys. But let's get back to the tracking stuff, too. So it sounds like you guys are super dialed in on systems and process and stuff. So um, how do you guys end up running the business from like, you know, a nuts and bolts, like practice management perspective? How are you guys like handling that, getting visibility back to clients and referring partners and that kind of stuff? Because it sounds like there's been like a lot of thought that's gone into that. Thought is the key word because 
like so many lawyers that start their own firm, we don't have any business skills. The bar, the law schools, they don't teach us anything about running a business, even though most of us are probably going to be either high-level decision makers or running our own firm. So you have to step back and say, all right, am I going to run a business or am I going to have a hobby? You know, if, if you want to have a hobby, that the practice of law, then great. Like your law firm is going to revolve around you and you are going to be the source of all things. And when you're there, it's great. When you're on vacation, your law firm effectively doesn't run. Or the other option is if you want to have a true business, you have to run it like a business. And that means having your policies, your procedures, your templates, everything has to be standardized. There have to be manuals and onboarding and tracking and KPIs so that it's not you running the business, but the business is actually running itself based upon your direction. So that's where we had to start was starting with just writing it all down and using video to recreate every process that we have. So that way it is standardized and then adjusting it when it changes. I know that doesn't necessarily answer the true nuts and bolts, but that's the first, the 50,000 fly review of how we get into the true nuts and bolts. Okay. No, that's awesome. And then as far as like, um, it's interesting, I've got my own thoughts on this, but we actually start off with video as far as our own SOPs as well. But I'm kind of curious why that was your choice and like how it's worked out for you since you guys made that. Not everyone is a great learner when it comes to reading. And also everyone writes differently. There's different styles of writing and there's technical writing. Some people get it, but at the same time, video is just so much faster to absorb. And then you can rewind, you can go back, you can play it over. And it, it just helps from a training standpoint, because rather than having two people sitting down and one person watching the other, it's no, just, just go watch this video, read this manual, let us know what questions that you have. So that again, when we do the video again, we can address those questions. And again, you're building your platform to have more data and expand but also refine it as you go. So, I mean, I just, I think video is huge. And then also your videos have to be short. Once you get past like 10 minutes, they're gone. When we first started, we had videos that were out an hour, hour and a half long doing the entire process of a particular thing. Nope, that doesn't work. You have to break it down in really small consumable chunks. So that way, again, people can consume it as opposed to just getting lost. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'll add one more thing to that too. I feel like from the process of actually creating the procedure, like, you know, like to your point, like reading comprehension, but it also is like, there's some people that are better writers than others as well. And it's like, anyone can hit record and just do what they were going to do anyway. So it's less of an ask on the employees, but like, I think, um, you know, that's, that's fantastic. And as far as uh, that tip too, I want to kind of point that out for the listeners as well, because it's like, there's other people who would probably justify saying, well, shoot, I'm paying them you know, a salary. They, they're going to watch for a damn long of a video I want. But the truth is, and I think this is true of sales is true of marketing. I think it's also super true of operations. It's like wherever you can remove friction from the end user, you're just going to get a better rate of compliance on whatever it is that you're trying to get them to do. So super, super smart. <laughs> That's a, it's an awesome approach. And then as far as like, um, just to kind of take a quick aside, like, you know, what's the shape of the firm like these days? Like as far as, you know, team members, that kind of stuff, like where you guys gotten up to and, you know, I guess maybe where did you guys start before you had the transition doing the, you know, the outsource litigation type stuff? Yeah. I mean, team is one of the most important things you can add bodies, you know, that's, that's fairly easy, but you have to make sure that you're adding the right people in the right seats. 
And that's one thing that we've really learned. Also, the phrase that cheap is expensive could not ring more true, especially in a legal setting. You can go cheap, you can buy cheap, you can hire cheap, but it's going to cost you so much more in the end. So when you're building your team, you just ask yourself, do you want to hire an amateur or do you want to hire a professional? And the more professional going on, the easier it's going to be for you to continue to scale up. So, you know, when it comes to where we started, we started with absolutely nothing. We had no cases. We had no referral sources. We had no plan. That was in 2015. So we started with $0. We made $250,000 in our first year. So like we were a profitable business model, but it was all me and Mark. And then as we've grown, we've added more staff. We've added teams of attorneys. So now we have pods where it's an attorney, a case manager, and a paralegal. And those three are a team that run their cases together. But then we have an assortment of support staff, whether it's we have our HR team, we have our records team, we have our intake team. You know, we have, we're very big into offshore talent. You know, when you expand your team to a global pool of candidates, you open yourself up to so much more availability of really high quality candidates where you have really affordable wages as well. Again, not that you're trying to be cheap, but if you're paying for administrative tasks and you can pay somebody $8 an hour in Mexico that is willing to you know, jump through a brick wall because that wage is so beneficial to them and you, you know, why wouldn't you avail yourself of that opportunity to deliver a higher quality of service to your clients with faster timelines? So we've been able to grow through that to where you know we're on track this year to, to break the $2 million mark with our law firm from a revenue standpoint and also continue to add more teams and more people so that we can deliver that fast service service that's both efficient and beneficial to everyone. That's awesome. And then how are you keeping track of all this stuff too? So it's like, as far as like um, people are referring cases and that kind of thing, I feel, I forget where I was, I was listening to, but I was talking to another person who's building, um, I was listening to a podcast and somebody about having, building a great referral network. And they're like, Hey, uh, when people refer a case, they want to know where everything's at in sort of the process. I'm sure you guys are doing that like a really strongly, but what's your, your approach to doing that stuff and how are you keeping everyone inside, outside, like on the same page? So we're big Microsoft advocates. It's phenomenal when you really start diving into what all Microsoft offers. I mean, it's, it's really crazy. Most of us just think of Microsoft as Outlook, Word, PowerPoint, Excel, like that's it. But there's so much and so many programs and so many different tools that you can use and leverage to where, you know, we've built in automation and automatic workflows. We've built robots to run processes for us there. So, and there's, there's, you can just go on and just take classes from Microsoft on how to use their different tools. So that way you're making everything in the house. You know, Microsoft has its own bookings. So that way you don't have to use Calendly and all these ancillary services that are out there. Microsoft is consolidating and bringing in house. So that way everything's in SharePoint. So that way all your documents, whether you use using a case management software or you're using something through Microsoft, all your documents are stored with it, which then opens you up to all sorts of reports that you can build with Microsoft lists and databases and workflows. And it, it just gives you the opportunity to then have dashboards to where you can build your dashboards for your team, for your firm, for your management team. So that way everyone knows where they are, how they're ranking and how they're performing. And it's just really a few clicks of a few buttons and everyone can see it. There's transparency and then everyone knows where they stand. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And then like, yeah, just kind of quick parenthetical for the listeners as well, too. Just like, yeah, like these things become more important, the more people get involved, the larger operations get because it's like, you know, you have a situation where you don't have access to a single piece of information. It's like not getting that can be like super brutal. That's interesting. And like, you know, I, I thank you for humoring me on the, uh, the, the geeky technical question. But, uh, you know, this is the kind of stuff that really ends up enabling getting, you know, practice to the next level, which is why I think it's like super important to ask. A follow-up question as far as the situation goes. So I know you're, you're very, very focused on, you know, being a business owner more than an attorney. How's your role shifted over the years? And like, what do you find yourself focusing the most time on these days? Oh, yeah. I mean, the entrepreneurial mindset, acquiring that takes time. But then when you start truly implementing it, you realize that, oh, you know, does the owner of Tesla, does Elon Musk, does Jeff Bezos, are, are they doing these things? Would they be doing this if they were in my shoes? And 99% of the time you tell yourself no. So it's like, how do I put somebody else in the seat so that number one, they're doing something that they enjoy and they're able to give me that time so that I can focus on being the visionary for the firm of in the next three, five, 10 years. And what that's meant is now I no longer handle cases directly. I'm not handling a caseload of 100, 150 different cases. I don't have my own pod. Same thing with Mark. You know, he's, he and I are now strategic visionaries. I'm responsible for marketing and sales. He's responsible for operations and finance. And the more, or the, not the more, but the higher up you go in your organizational chart, all of a sudden now you become more valuable to the firm because then you are being a true leader, not necessarily a worker. When you're working in the firm, you're not working on the firm. So the goal is to get move as high up in that scale as possible so that you really are only working on the firm and tracking and managing and building so that way you don't get bogged down. Yeah. So let's like double click on this marketing and sales thing too. So to kind of go back a little bit on uh, what you said earlier, as far as, you know, the marketing that you guys are doing. So I know you mentioned the direct outreach, but big question. And I want to ask this for anyone who's considering building out more of a referral practice, because, you know, there's this huge thing. And I feel like there's a big thing that's messed up in the legal field because we have solicitation, which is outright not a cool thing to do in 50 state bars across. But if we're reaching out to partnerships, it opens up a lot of different tools that people don't even know exist. So I think like big picture, my first question for you is like, you know, having been on both sides of the fence, like prior to the shift to focusing on the litigation stuff, working directly with consumers and then or marketing towards consumers directly and then post the shift working towards marketing towards attorneys. What are the differences that you found in those two different ways of reaching people and how to build those relationships. When you're a B2C, you know, business to consumer business, you have to focus on the consumer. And there's a couple of ways that can really go. You know, you can have a very large social media presence and you can let people in and have them build that relationship of that no like and trust through putting yourself out there so much. And there's some that are very, very good at that. My network of people who I'm going after, there's not necessarily, I just want to have a group of personal injury attorneys that are only going to see my ads or, you know, see me. That's not really a, a social media avenue. So it's, for me, it's more of the old, good old boy, like look somebody in the eye, shake their hand, take them out to lunch, go play golf, go to a ball game, really get to know the person. Because again, the more relationships that you build and the more trust you build by taking care of their clients and really just doing what you say, standing by your word and being a person of your word, that just goes so far and that builds then even more trust 
because then when you trust someone, you're more inclined to like them. You're more inclined to have that long lasting relationship and relationships are what matter so much. And you can only have so many relationships when it comes to a B2C basis. You know, if you're, if you want to have a thousand clients a year, that's a whole lot of relationships to manage. Whereas, you know, right now we're, we're working with 19 law firms across the Southeast. One person can manage that. You know, as we grow, we're going to have to have more business development people in the seats to manage more of those relationships. But it's just about realizing who do you want to market to? How are you going to get to them? How are you going to establish that know, like, and trust and that credibility? Yeah, that's awesome. So, I mean, what I'm taking away from that is like you have the ability to go deep in a way that you wouldn't necessarily be able to go with the B2C stuff. And even like within the situation, because this kind of brings me back to the, I once upon a time was doing a bunch of stuff with uh, B&I, like I was, <laughs> I was all over Manhattan, but it was interesting because you got to see, I mean, I, I had the firsthand experience of that, but I also got to see the way that everyone else was doing it. And just FYI, I'm, I'm uh, for anyone listening, I'm no longer a fan of B&I, but it's kind of interesting because you see these referral partnerships and like, you know, you have situation, I'm sure within the distribution of clients you have, not the outing one, there's probably people that are pulling more weight than others. That makes a lot of more sense to focus on. And there's probably a lot of other conversations that might happen and seem promising that don't end up ever crossing the finish line. So how do you kind of keep track of those things? And like, how do you think about moving people through those stages to the point where, you know, you're aware of them, you're kind of, you know, going on dates, so to speak, and then, you know, you finally get married. No, I mean, it's it's 100%. It's corporate dating. So that's, you know, the way to look at it. But you have to track it. You can't just say, well, you know, I want to talk to this person today and I want to meet with this person tomorrow. Again, the more metrics that you build around any system, whether it's marketing, sales, you know, production, financial controls, whatever it is, the more metrics that you have and can track, then you can really see what's going on. So I track everything. I track every touch point. I track every sales cycle. So that way you can start to see patterns. And is everyone going to fit into the averages? Absolutely not. But we at least know what our average sales cycle is going to be and how many touch points that's going to include. So that way we get a gauge of, all right, well, if this is our goal, we'll just work backwards. This is how many meetings I need to have. This is how many calls I need to make. This is how many new partners we need to bring on this month. So that way, again, you're building a true business, not just that that hobby where you're operating on gut and feel. Yeah. And then as far as things go, like once, and this is kind of a, oh, I won't get into why, but it's always kind of a dilemma once you get people onto the partnership. It's something where you're, you're sort of dependent on some level with what they're bringing in, but there's only so much control that you can kind of exert on what's coming your way from the activity that's ultimately happening in somebody else's business. So how do you think about, I mean, what levers do you have to kind of stay on top of people or, or just kind of influence the amount of volume that you're getting from a given partner? It really goes back to making them look good. And what that means is that means taking care of their clients, you know, giving them the best possible outcome with the given facts and overly communicating. Attorneys are notorious for poor communication. So the more you communicate with the client, the more you communicate with the referral partner, the more that everyone understands what's going on. Generally, that leads to a better relationship. And then especially when the case is over, highlight the referring firm. We don't necessarily highlight our work. We again, highlight the referring firm because when the case is over, my goal is if, not really an if, but when that client has another wreck, especially if they're in Atlanta, it's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. When they have that second or third wreck, I want them to go back to the referring firm. I don't want them to come back to me because I'm going to try to send them back anyway. Because again, that's building that goodwill and establishing that relationship of, I only want to stay in my lane. I don't want to compete with you. I want to compliment you. 
And the more you do that, the more you deliver that service, the really that's where I think a lot of you know bonds are made. And then when they see that, then more comes. Using a BNI term, givers gain. The more you give back to the referring firm, the more you're probably going to get in return. Yeah. I mean, the proof's kind of in the pudding, right? At the end of the day, it's like when people, I mean, the money obviously helps. Ultimately, I don't think anyone would take a big check if it meant that the person that they're referring out is going to have a bad experience. So like the more that you can make it for a slam dunk for them, you know, it definitely makes sense as far as being able to, uh, you know, get that repeat business at the end of the day. So no, that's awesome. Now, as far as like how we're getting in touch with other firms as well too, like what are your favorite marketing channels? I, I know you mentioned outbound a little bit, but how are you getting in front of new people? people that you want to get on and partner? Do you guys do advertising? What's what's sort of your uh, your process there? Yeah, I mean, so we have a, a unique value proposition or our commitment to all the firms that we work with is, you know, number one, we're not going to compete with you. We're not going to spend any money on digital ads, Facebook, TikTok, you know, YouTube. We're, we're not going to have buses, billboards, TV, radio. We're not going to do any of that stuff going after your clients. You know, we're not going to do anything B2C. We do do stuff on the B2B side. You know, we have a extensive library on our website of, you know, all our templates and free resources that we're constantly expanding every week of adding new things because there are attorneys that and all there are just people that want to have access to certain templates and documents and pleadings and you know try to do it themselves. I'm not going to fault anybody for trying to litigate the case themselves. It may not necessarily be the wisest course of action, but you can still do it yourself. And then the argument is, is for especially firms that are downloading our free resources, if this is the quality of work that you get for free, you know, just imagine what it's look like, what it looks like when you work with us. And using that as an opportunity to you know, know who they are, we have our own drip campaigns for that, and then we know who to follow up with so that we can, again, not that we're trying to solicit them, but, you know, hey, let's let's build a relationship. Let's see if we like each other and, you know, we're able to do business and help each other. Yeah, that's fantastic. Because I was kind of, my mind went immediately to like the outbound stuff, but it, I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. If you guys are helping them out with an issue that they might not be like, you know, if you, if you guys are available for that, then I think it's it's super natural to come to you because that's brilliant. A quick question, as far as like, you know, personal injury attorneys that are advertising for this stuff, obviously like probably the bread and butter in terms of a volume perspective, but do you guys ever work with firms that are in other practice areas and might get the odd PI case or that kind of thing? Yeah, we work with, I mean, we've got a couple of firms where it's a true solo and they're everything to all their clients. We also work with some very large law firms that have a national presence. So it really just spans the gamut of, you know, where they are. It's just more of where do you want to be and how can we help you get there? Yeah, that's awesome. And then I know we've talked about Georgia Southeast for a while, but, you know, what's kind of the big plan for you, James? Is like, you know, is this something you guys are eventually trying to take nationwide? Like, what are the next couple of years look like for you guys? So maybe we don't know exactly how that goes. We've got some plans. We've got some way things may look like, but number one, if you don't plan it, it's never going to happen. And also we understand that, you know, whatever plan we put in place is not going to be the plan that the way it looks like when we get there. So you have to be able to adapt and adjust and review and just change. But we at least have plans to go into South Carolina, how that changes. Once we get into there, we may review, revisit, who knows where it, it truly ends up, but we have to get to that first state first to see what that looks like to then look at the opportunities for national applications. However, we also have a couple other business models that we have now seen where there's other opportunities as well that we're working on that kind of support the same idea. And those are other opportunities that you really fall into. Once you kind of get that entrepreneurial bug, you realize that, oh, this could be a business and this could be a business. So it's kind of just putting all the pieces together. 
Yeah, I gotcha. I mean, you know, you got enough business. I mean, as George is a big enough say with enough people, you guys could probably be, yeah, eating pretty well for a long time as far as that kind of stuff goes too. But yeah, I'm always just kind of curious as far as that stuff too, because it's like, you know, we got people in all 50 states listening to this. I'm sure you guys probably have business you almost got to turn away because it's in the, the different states or something like that, but it's really interesting. So um, James, it's been an awesome conversation, man. For anyone who's kind of like resonating with this, you know, maybe if they're based in Georgia or whatever, what's like, you know, the best way to uh, get in your world? So the best way is just, you know, our toll-free number, which is also our URL for our website. It's 833-4-THE-WIN. So that's 833-THE-NUMBER-4-THE-WIN.COM. You can check out our website. You can schedule a free strategy session with me. And, you know, I might, might even take you out to lunch, see if we can do some business together and grow together. Yeah, that's awesome. So James, thanks again. I mean, this has been a really interesting conversation for you guys listening, like between the lines, you know, we're talking on its face about personal injury stuff in Georgia, but I want everyone to kind of think about, you know, these different business models that you can approach ways to really focus in on the value. I think one of the things I really love about your approach, James, is just like, you know, being ruthless about optimizing the value of everybody on your team. You're not taking out the trash and being the janitor. You don't want litigators that are going to be doing pre-lit stuff. These are the principles that really allow you to kind of get the most juice out of everyone you have on payroll and heck if you don't want to have something on payroll <laughs> might be time to give james a call so thanks again james super appreciate having you on thanks sir it's been fun thank you for listening to the law firm growth podcast for show notes free resources and more head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast looking forward to catching up on the next episode 